The University of Washington Huskies beat the Cougs in a snowy Apple Cup to punch their ticket to the Pac-12 championship game. They join Utah. The rest of the team has played, but at the end of the day, it's about winning, so that's where the focus will be. All that and more on this week's Eligible Receivers. He's Eric. I'm Warren. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Let's have a great big hand for the star of our show, Bob Hope. Or Eric... uh, Warren. Warren. That's a weird name. Warren. Warren. My name is Warren. Warren. You know what? This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. So, almost the last week. uh, I mean, like the last full regular season week uh, this past week. And let's start it off on Friday... Uh, early-ish kind of start for a Friday, but it was a holiday Friday after Thanksgiving. Civil War, Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, the Ducks go into Corvallis and obliterate the Beavs 55-15 to 15 in a game where Justin Herbert took uh, pr- what looked like a pretty serious injury. He missed most of this game. I guess they're saying now it's not a long-term deal, so that's that's good. It probably means he didn't break his shoulder, like his clavicle or whatever again. Um so that would be nice. Uh, yeah, Oregon didn't have much state, uh, much trouble with these beefs. I don't know. I mean, I think the beefs like may have got Oregon last year in this game. Um, I know they've won recently, you know. So it isn't. Yeah. It is. It isn't it, as if Oregon State never wins this game, but it's it's few and far between for these beefs when they, you know, recently be, for sure. Yeah, and this would be a year that they could potentially get the Ducks, and uh, did not work out that way. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the these rivalry games are tricky, you know, where these teams where there's a clear talent disparity uh, for a team like Oregon that's been up and down. Uh, and then, but, like, the one game, and the same thing with Washington against Washington State, which we'll talk about a lot more later. The one game where you're, one of the games, I guess I want to say, where you're going to get really consistent effort from the more talented team is that rivalry game. Uh, and that kind of bore out. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, next up, let's go Saturdays, then we'll circle back to the Apple Cup to finish. So on Saturday, we had Notre Dame traveled to USC to play the Trojans. Clay Helton, potentially dead man walking. He's going to have an unsanctioned USC potentially uh, miss a bowl game in a year where they're not on sanctions, and I, I believe they're clear of their scholarship restrictions. So just bad, no, no reason for it. Notre Dame goes into the Coliseum, and this game actually ends up being pretty close, but Notre Dame does win 24-17. Backdoor cover for USC with a late touchdown, um, which will impact our picks later that we'll discuss. But, uh, yeah, I mean, USC came out and looked good in this game, like drove the ball down the field in the first couple drives, scored first. I mean, they looked game, you know, but they just, as as the game bore out, you could tell that Notre Dame was better. And USC so undisciplined, so many penalties and just dumb plays. And I know they're young and true freshman quarterback and a lot of freshmen and sophomores uh, at key positions. But it just, you know, you can't be, you can't shoot yourself in the foot against a good team and expect to win the game. And you know that's what happened. It, it looked to me, from a talent standpoint, that these two teams are are not that far apart. Uh, but Notre Dame is just the, the far superior outfit when it comes to. Uh, organizations and expectation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's where that confidence comes in. Like, you know, it's the same caliber of athlete on either side, but Notre Dame, what they've been doing has been working, and they expect it will continue to work. Absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, next up we had Utah and BYU in a game where I almost didn't even bother to watch it there on Saturday night. And then when I like check in on the score, it's halftime and BYU is up 20 to 0, which nobody saw coming. And then I'll tell you what, yeah. the game the game got insane in the second half. So zero points in the first half for the Utes, 35 of them in the second half including a 21 to 0 fourth quarter as they storm back to win by a touchdown in this game. Insane. Super important for Utah, I think, to have come back in this game and won just because they weren't playing for anything. You know, and I think that sort of bore itself out in the first half. They had already clinched the South, you know, the Pac-12 South. Obviously, BYU is not a conference game. Um, This is a rivalry game for them, but it it wasn't a game where they were, you know, they were going to play in Santa Cruz. Clara or wherever it is. Yeah, wherever that uh, dumb stadium is. Yeah. Wherever that stupid game is played, they're going to go play. They were, you know, that was already happening for them. Um, and so I think the first half they came out and were, uh, you know, uh, probably a little tentative, playing not to get hurt, didn't want to, you know, didn't want to do anything to jeopardize that game. But then I think, you know, you get down 20 to nothing, you remember that you hate the other team, you get pissed off, and they came out in the second half and, as you said, sort of barnstormed. Uh, back and ended up winning the game. Yeah, I mean, what was crazy about this is that it was 20-0. to zero. Utah scores to make it 20-7. to seven. Then BYU answers it right back to go up 27-7. to seven. And that's pretty late in the third quarter at that point, you know? So, like, BYU has maintained uh, a pretty, you know, a three-score advantage in this game for three quarters of it. Uh, but yeah. then, yeah, and then it just, it all fell apart. Really, as a troll the strongest possible way to beat your rival, you know, to like, let them think they're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So I got, I respect that from Utah. That's like pretty sinister. Uh-huh. Uh, Stanford and UCLA. I think this was the first game that was on, on Saturday. Stanford goes to Pasadena to play the Bruins. And I'll tell you what, uh, it's not your father's Stanford in a couple of ways. One, they managed to score 49 points in this game, despite the loss of, uh, you know, uh, unavailability of our Sega Whiteside and not really an overwhelming game for Bryce Love. So that's the good. Their offense, uh, prolific. UCLA's defense suspect. But Stanford did give up 42 points in this game to UCLA. And UCLA was storming back, trying to make this thing happen in the second half. Uh, but ultimately, Stanford wins by a touchdown. That was the number these teams push. Yeah, I mean, the expected outcome, I think, from my, my perspective, I thought Stanford would win the game. Uh, UCLA, I mean... You got to say in the second half of the season, UCLA starts to look like a Chip Kelly college team, you know, like they're, they're starting to run those plays over and over and over again. And somehow like the defenses on the other side aren't, aren't prepared for it. And, you know, it's not as if Stanford doesn't have a, a pretty good recent history in terms of defensive, you know, capability. So, um, I, you know, I think for UCLA, even having lost this game, this is, you know, a decent, you know, something to feel okay about um, in terms of the momentum uh, you know, of, of going into the off season. Yeah. I mean, this, this Stanford team, this is the first team that solved Oregon, you know, or at least, you know, figured out a way to play with them back in the day, the Harbaugh teams where they would have, you know, five down linemen and then have essentially two middle linebackers and blitz those also just dead up the middle. It was like, Oh, you're going to run the same offense, you know, the same zone read every play. We're going to run the exact same defensive play. It's like a, a five, two center blitz. 
you know. And those and those games were always high scoring. So yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it's a it's a, a heart you know a throwback of, of what we can expect in the future with these two teams. Yeah. So uh, you know, inter- interesting enough as a game again, you know, like so many of these games this week, not really much on the line. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, Stanford. You look back on the year, you have to say disappointment, though they do finish seven and four, uh, and you know, so they're comfortably bowl eligible. But you know, but what a kind of a lost year for them. It's they need a bounce back to kind of keep. They've been living on the, like the residual Harbaugh vibes, you know, and Shaw's done a good job keeping it rolling. But Stanford traditionally hasn't been a consistently great football team, so I'm I'm always interested to see. I'm interested to see what they're going to come up with next year, I guess I want to say. Yeah, and I, I mean, to add to that, you know, Bryce Love came back and I think was on everybody's preseason Heisman watch list, you know, and just had a terrible year. He got hurt early, uh, high ankle sprain or something of that nature, and just really never, ever got right. And I think played in a bunch of games where he probably should have not played. Um, like in retrospect, should have sat out three or four games in a row because every game you see him get tackled and he just re-injures the, the ankle again. And then the next week he's out there trying to gut it out again and he gets tackled and he re-injures the ankle again. And it's a, at some point you're going to look back, you know, like they're going to look back in the offseason and be like, maybe we should have sat a guy out for a month and just had him for the stretch run. Uh, but really too bad for, you know, for him coming back at senior year with a lot of hype and, and just didn't have a year at all. Yeah. Just weird. Just weird. Uh, next up, we have Territorial Cup, uh, Arizona Schools. Arizona State goes into Tucson. Here's a game I just flat out checked out of uh, with Arizona going into the fourth quarter with a 40-21 to 21 lead. I'm thinking, good for them. They got bowl eligible. Nice job. And now I'm sitting here imagining myself getting, like, shamefully Socratic method by Herm Edwards, you know, being like, Warren, how many quarters do we play in a game? Four why do we play the game to win the game? <laughs> I, got, I got a question for you, class. Yeah. Let me see. Is there anybody here who wants to answer this question? Yeah. Mr. Corey Bullet. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the Herms storm back 20 to zero in the fourth quarter, 41 to 40 winners. Uh, nice. Nice. Again, like Utah and BYU, ultimate rival troll. You know, just hand it to him and then punch him and take it back. That's right. Uh, and real disappointing. And then I'm seeing some story on Bleacher Report. I don't know how well this was sourced, saying that Khalil Tate's thinking about transferring or something like that. Yeah, of course he is. Why not? Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, whatever. I mean, like, they kind of like, you know, a re- <laughs> there's some indication that they tailored their uh, coaching search for him. So I feel like he ought to stay, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like perhaps you owe it to the administration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and you know, I mean, Arizona in large part, I think, undone by the fact that Khalil Tate was unhealthy for much of the year, you know, and he wasn't able to do the things that made him uh, such a supernova in the second half of the season last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other thing too is, as as you know, there, you know, despite the lack of quality wins for the Pac-12 conference as a whole, I think. Um, they had some pretty smart coaches in this conference and, you know, Khalil Tate's one of those guys that I think as, as he puts more tape, you know, more, more games, more tape, you're going to start to recognize some tendencies and defensive coordinators are going to get a little better game planning against him. And I think there was some of that as well. Um, 
in terms of what his tendencies were before, where it was just you didn't know what his tendency was, and then when he starts to rely on it, his athleticism is so far superior to your defense that they're just they don't know what to do. But if you are able to to game plan a little bit with an idea of what he's going to do, you can kind of mitigate some of that athletic ability to you know a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The co- yeah the combo of maybe more tape, more familiarity, and diminished ability uh, due to the injury from Tate kind of you know, got them back to kind of middling team. Uh, one guy I wanted to shout out who I don't feel like we've talked enough on the show about this year is that JJ Taylor from Arizona, the five, yeah, running back. five, six. Yeah, dude, a baller, a baller, five, 684 pounds. Guy was uh, a monster all year. Uh, you know, 1400 plus yards, not as many touchdowns as I would have thought, but especially in that kind of, uh, second half of the season, especially when they were kind of getting back on track, you would just look up and always see him busting off huge runs. So good player. Yeah, absolutely. Good call. Right. And then we have Colorado and California. Uh, Colorado need the game to get bowl eligible. Cal looking to consolidate, looking to improve, uh, heading into the big game. Uh, Cal takes care of business in this game. 21 to zero in the first quarter. And then after that, you know, uh, Colorado outscores them. Uh, what is that? 21 to 12. But at the end of the day, that equals California wins by 12. So, uh, you know, you know, frustrating, bad year for Colorado ends up with their coach getting fired. Uh, good year for Cal big, I mean, big leap for them, especially considering that they, you know, they haven't had the world's greatest offense, you know, they have an offense that I would categorize as poor. So as, as, as flat out bad. Yeah. yeah. So good for them to get 33 points. Uh, and you know, good for them to get in there, uh, seven and four chance for an eighth win, you know, because they're going to play that Stanford game that got postponed because of the fires this week. That's, that's right. Yeah. All right. And then finally, uh, in Pullman, in snowy Pullman, Washington, uh, the apple cup was played. Winner goes to the PAC 12 title game. Winner wins the PAC 12 North. And, uh, Washington Huskies jump out, uh, and 28 to 15, they win the game on the back of Miles Gaskins, uh, who finishes his Apple cup career with 10 touchdowns, which is remarkable. Uh, because like, if you held him to two touchdowns in an Apple cup game, that means you did a good job because he on average scored more than that. Yeah. And they did not yeah. <laughs> hold him to that, <laughs> you know, uh, dude, that guy is so good. I mean, I, I'm, so almost I'm almost embarrassed that we have this podcast and and talk Pac-12 football every week and, in retrospect, did not talk enough about Miles Gaskin. Like, that guy is – is from a not only that, from a Husky fan perspective, that guy's – I mean, he's got to be a top five all-time Husky in terms of his talent and his production, the, you know, the number of wins, the consistency – there, there aren't – are there five players in the history of Washington? You know, now, I mean, he doesn't have a marquee bowl win yet. Still has an opportunity for that. But, I, you know, it's not really on him. But, I mean, just for how much hype, you know, there was around guys like Jake Locker, um, you know, like, for God's sakes, Miles Gaskin was so good. Yeah, I mean, I put him uh, in, the, in the, the same category as a guy – uh, the, the problem is there's been so many good players throughout the years, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to say that just based on contribution, like maybe Corey Dillon was better when he was here, but he was barely here at Washington. 
and yeah, I, I mean, we've been blessed recently with this line of running backs uh, from Polk to Sankey to Gaskin that, uh, and I'll admit, it's been a struggle for me to really differentiate Gaskin between the previous two, especially Polk, because uh, Chris Polk, to my mind, was... What on earth is going on? Is that just animals? And it's a puppy sprint. Like, when Chris Polk, when it, when it became clear what that guy could do consistently, that was, you know, we were, like, coming out of a very dark place. And uh, it was so refreshing. Yeah. Uh, and amazing to have that going on, like, at that. So, I could... Uh, I, but I kind of put him in that same category. But yeah, as you, as I think about it, I'm trying to think like Reggie Williams was that yeah. was that level? Uh, tra- yeah, which is transcendent in yeah. terms of his talent. Yeah, especially guys like our era, which is like starts at the very end of the '90s. You know, when we started going to school there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like it's like Gaskin, Polk, Reggie Williams, and I'm trying to think who else is in the mix. I don't know. Not, not, not a lot of players, man. Yeah. I mean, Vita Vea on defense. Yeah, Vita Vea. Um, Shaq Thompson. I mean, you know, he's. Yeah, that's the five, player. I think. Yeah. Of like the kind of, you know, post millennial dogs. There you go. Yeah. I like, but oh, yeah, yeah, dude, he's, he's amazing. And that, the th- what was what's weird is he was like, he was like, uh, about like four games in, you know, or whatever to his freshman year, you're like, oh shit, he's good. And he's been that good the entire time. So I see what you're saying that like, maybe we don't talk about him because he's been this guy since 2015. Yeah. I mean, he sits out the Cal game this year and we lose to Cal. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, and then he comes back and we're, we're good again. I mean, it's just, he's, he's a great player and he, he deserves his every accolade. Jake Browning gets his signature win. You know, I, I uh, have had my struggles with Jake Browning this year. Um, but but thanks to the Cougs, who who talked a lot before this game. I mean, the Cougs were – I think that's sort of part of the deal with the Cougs is that, is that they, they know kind of in the back of their mind that, they, that there's a good chance they're going to lose most of the Apple Cup games. And so they, they tend to talk so much ahead of time. Um and they've been very derogatory towards Browning. And it's like, well, here you go on the road in the snow against the top 10 team. He gets, the, you know, he gets the win. That's a, that's a very marquee signature win kind of a deal. And he played pretty well doing it, had one bad throw um, in the first quarter. But other than that, and then one, really one well. bad fumble. I mean, like he, yeah. he had his spots, but also uh, especially more in the first half, because the second half we were kind of uh, consolidating. And then our big mm-hmm. touchdown in the second half was a long run. But in the first half, we were getting a lot of chunk plays through the air, uh, and uh, including, I mean, Hunter Bryant only caught three balls, but it was good for 100 yards and a touch. Hunter Bryant's very good. Aaron Fuller threw that pass to Hunter Bryant. Um, he was the only quarterback or player in the game to, with the passing touchdown. But Shelley uh, was awesome. Uh, yeah. the, one of the weirdest plays of the season, if you're a longtime Jake Browning watcher, was he had a uh, – a huge completion to Andre Bocelli early in this game where he threw a deep ball that hit an open receiver in stride. Yeah. And it looked like a duck when he let it go. I was like, man, that is a floater. Like yeah. that ball was just flopping around up there. And it, and it, but it came down like perfectly out of the sky to Bocelli's hand. So like, you know, whatever works. Yeah. We're used to the, um, we're used to the John Ross bombs that were always like 10 yards short. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, I think it's just the same story. You know, WSU is in their own head when it comes to these games. The this, this snow, you know, you hear now post, ex post facto about the snow. The snow bothered us. The snow, the snow, the snow. And it's like, you know what, man? It's your home field, you know? It's your home field. You have to – you have to be prepared to play in whatever elements are going to happen on your home field. Yeah, you can't you can't play a home game and then say the weather didn't help us; it helped our opponent. Yeah. that's not how home games work. Yeah, you know? it like, has to be your to, weather. It's your weather. You're supposed to be the best team on your own home field. Like that's yeah. that's how that's supposed to go. Um, yeah. So uh, the what else did I want to say about this game? Um, oh yeah, uh, along those lines, along them kind of folding over and something being in their head. I, I thought this was going to be a closer game, and I gave the Cougs a, a for real puncher's chance to win this game. I thought it was pretty close to 50-50 going in because, and I believe what I said last week is that uh, that I thought, like, when things, when the bad thing happened to WSU in this game, in past years, they might just be like, oh, this is how this is going to go. But they've been so good this year and hanging in and won some pretty close games that you figured they'd, they'd have enough uh, – you know, kind of mental strength to stick in the game when the thing's going bad and just keep trying to do what they're doing. Uh, there was a story in the news tribune today that, uh, uh, quoted, uh, some Huskies saying that they could tell that they broke them early on in the game that, 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 you know, that they were talking when the game started and then pretty quick after it got going, they, uh, WSU got less boisterous and you could see them with their heads down. So that was, you know, that's interesting. I'll, I'll tell you, I saw something in the first half that, that I thought was, was interesting. It was in the second quarter, I believe. I think it was in the first – I think it was in the second quarter. I'm not 100% sure of this. But um, there is definitely a possession in this game where WSU has a third and something, and they pick up a couple of yards, but they don't get the, they don't get the conversion. But it's right in that point part of the field where – WSU goes for it. You know what I mean? Like they always go for it. Yeah. And there's some delay on after the third down play. I don't know if there was an injury or something, but I think the, it was indecision. It maybe no, nah, it wasn't because there was some delay and any maybe maybe it was indecision. But anyways, I'm sitting there with this with this you know because you're as a Husky fan you're like oh we held them on third down great but then you're also worried that they're gonna go for it on fourth yeah and I'm sitting there worried about it and the camera pans over to Mike Leach. And it shows Gardner Minshew standing behind him with a coat on already. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Well, well, I guess they're not going for it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was, it was crazy. I was like, I can't believe that he's already got a coat on. I, if I was him, I, I, this is right where they go for it. I would, I would assume that they would have to pull him off the field. That dude was already standing behind Leach with a coat on, and I was like, okay, they're gonna punt, and they punted. Uh, that was the the point in the game where I was like. Okay, this is this is exactly what we want. Like Gardner Minshew doesn't want to be here. Um, yeah. That's that's what we want. Yeah, and uh, I gotta say uh, the a um, mea culpa on my part, or what I'm gonna do is uh, clarify a point I've been making uh, as the season has gone along, which is that you don't need to run the ball in college football. Uh, yeah, with <laughs> with with the frame being. Uh, the last drive of the game that Washington had, which was a thing of goddamn beauty where they just ran the ball over and over and ran like, you know, around like eight minutes off the clock to take a knee inside the WSU 10 to end the game. Uh, it's, it's good to run the ball. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I hear I hear what you're saying, and I think even the most stubborn college football coaches, like the Nick Sabans of the world, have begun adapting their offense. Yeah, to to have that aerial aspect of it. I mean, you look back, you know, seven, eight, ten years ago, the SEC was a total ground and pound, nine to six kind of a thing. You know, yeah, and, and Alabama was winning national championships with that, but they were just literally bludgeoning teams, you know, yeah. on the ground. And I mean, and even in 2016, you know, when when Washington was in the playoff against Alabama, like the Alabama did not have a dynamic offense in that game. They just had a transcendent defense. And then they had Bill Scarborough, who was just huge and looked like a linebacker, but was running back. Yeah. Um, and so they are adapting to have a more dynamic passing game. But you got to run the ball. You have yeah. got to run the ball. And 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 Washington State over the the three games before the Apple Cup were averaging over 110 yards rushing per game. They were using James Williams. They were using Max Borgie. Leach was coming coming this way on the on the rushing um, and. And it burned him. I mean, he went away from it. I, I don't understand why he went away from it in the Apple Cup. He was, it was his only path to victory was to give the ball. And those two running backs are both good players. Yeah. Um, give him the ball. But instead he kept he kept throwing it, and Minshew just, just didn't have it. Yeah. Uh, what I want to clarify about that is that, like, you do have to be able to run the ball. But what, what I want to say is saying that maybe you don't need it rather than just run passes all the time. What you have to do to have like a fully operational Death Star offense is be able to throw as if all you're going to do all day is throw the ball and a pass play doesn't mean shit to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you need like certain things to go right. It's like you're drilled in the way like a Mike Leach team is drilled in on, you know, throwing games against any other team but Washington where they throw out of any down and distance any route and it and it just means nothing to them because it's what they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, one last thing I want to talk about in this game. Do you say, do you recall that play where it was like a, a third and short and Washington ran this look a couple times on defense where they didn't put anybody over the head of the middle three linemen on WSU? Yeah, to, yeah. that to, was early. That was early in the game. To to goad them into an inside draw, which they just collapsed on and stuffed. That was like uh, the equivalent of like, uh, you know, like in, uh, for Jimmy Lake of like uh, an and one mixtape, like crossover dribble where you make the other guy fall down. I, I enjoyed those plays because if you look at the snap, the three offensive linemen, the interior offensive linemen who had nobody over them, like they still went forward. No, like, no, you fools! Yeah. <laughs> they're on your side. Like, yeah, you gotta, there's nobody out there. You have they're gonna they're gonna get to the point behind you. Like they're it's like Braveheart. Like they yeah. they, they flanked you. Like, yeah, you have been flanked. You've been flanked, fellas. And just, <laughs> yeah, just don't, that's like, like some that's some Maginot line shit. You have three offensive linemen effectively bearing down on Ben Burr Curtin. You know, yeah. it's like no, that's too many. Like you guys gotta go to the side. Yeah, whatever. I, I mean, what a great rivalry we've got. We picked the best rivalry of like all the co- you know of all the colleges. I was looking at this last week of like all the major rivalries, and it's like you know, so and so's eight games over five hundred. So and so's three games over five hundred. So and so's you know like, and then yeah. it's just the Apple Cup, and it's Washington is forty games over five hundred. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm like I'm to the point. Now, where like if it didn't matter, I wouldn't mind if they won, 
because I'm like worried about losing them as participants in the rivalry, you know? Yeah. Cause like too yeah. many of them are just going to take a sober look at this thing and say, I got to stop getting involved in this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> to, to, for sure. Like, it's like, uh, you know, like, you know, you don't want the high roller who comes to Vegas, like, you know, 15 years in a row, you don't want him to lose a hundred grand every time, you know, you need him to have one year so that he thinks like it's going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, and that's what will make it devastating, like extra devastating when UW loses because it'll just, they'll, they're going to let out a decade or, you know, whatever, a pent up frustration. Yeah. And it's going to be absurd. And I mean, they'll have earned that. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, I, I but, still say, like, viewed through a certain light, it's, it's still maybe more fun to be a Coug because when you win, it's like 10 wins all at once. Wow. There's no way it's more fun. There. Yeah, it's not. It's just, it sucks. It's just brutal beatdown after yeah. brutal beatdown. Yeah. I mean, they lost the last three Apple Cups by over 20 points, and the, and the weather in those games was perfectly fine. And then the weather in this game goes sideways. They only lose by 13 points. Statistically, this is the, the closest Apple Cup they've played in the last five years, and they're like, we lost because of the weather. It's, it, I mean, it just it has to be brutal. Like, I can't – I'm not – I'm not sad that I don't have to live through that on that on that side of the of the you know of the looking glass or whatever. Yeah. All right. So how are we doing our picks? We did bad as usual. Uh, I did the worst at two and four and one. Uh, we, we all had one tie because of the push. Um, I did with two four and one. You went three three and one, and Dirty Worm went three three and one. That brings us to uh, final week. Uh, you're at forty three forty four and two. I am at 51, 36 and two and worm is at 50, 37 and two worm one game back um, headed into the, this isn't really even the final week. So, I mean, we've got the bulls to pick still. So, um, yeah. And so I want to say about my picks, you, you saw what I was doing pretty quick in my picks last week, which was yeah. trying to affirmatively make the wrong pick. And but, you got to 500. Well, I'll tell you what happened is I abandoned the system, you know, is that I get down to USC and Notre Dame and I'm like, well, no way. If yeah, I if, if I stay with you gone, if you had gone USC BYU right there you're staring down the I'm looking the barrel at, I'm looking at 5 six one, and one weekend. Yeah. I mean just stick to your guns man. Yeah. I had yeah. it right. I had it right by picking the thing that I didn't think was going to happen and then I tried to get cute and be like, "Oh, well, I think oh, well, certainly this is going to happen." Look at my picks. Obviously that's certainly not going, you know, it's not it's no certainty. Yeah. Yeah. This- this isn't the most brutal beat of the week for me because that happened, or I, and actually it wasn't even a beat; it was a win. Uh, but so ASU was a loss for me because they were favored by two and they ended up winning by one. They went for two when they scored that oh, final no. touchdown <laughs> to, 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 to try because there was still like a minute left, right? So they went yeah. for two to try and make it a three-point game, which yeah. would have then put them to the cover. But they didn't convert the the two point conversion, and that saved the your the Arizona pick. Woo! Not the best. What. The best win of all time for me is in our college fantasy football league in the NFL. Uh, you, as the commissioner, instituted uh, point one scoring. I don't know yeah. if you noticed this or not. Um, so instead of like ten yards equals one point, one yard equals point one. Uh, yeah. so, so my team won by 0.1 this week. Hell yeah. Uh, and my opponent had Kirk cousins who ended his game for the Minnesota Vikings by taking a knee twice. 
which <laughs> is minus one yard on the first deal and minus one yard on the second deal. That is minus 0.2. And then you lose by 0.1. I, I enjoyed that. I love it, dude. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the Grundles, I did not love it. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, next up, we got – okay, so we'll go to next week's games here. Let's start off with Cal and Stanford. The big game it was post- postponed due to uh, uh, climate-induced – unplayable air and now we will be playing it this week uh in berkeley stanford are two and a half point road favorites tough tough one especially that stanford well stanford's shown the ability to score right but like oh cal's got the juice this season though i Uh, feel like cal's already content with their season that's what i feel like and I feel like Stanford, as you said, they're seven and four. I think they it means more to them to get to eight and four. If they yeah. get the, if they can do that and then get into one ever bowl game and end up with nine wins, then they're like, oh well, we're just a break away from getting a ten, and uh, yeah. lar- largely the status quo uh, yeah. reigns. So, Whereas yeah. Cal, I think, has already done their work for the year. Um, they're bowl eligible. They're feeling good. Uh, their offense, I think, is is not going to have the success that UCLA's offense had against Stanford. And uh, that's that. We'll see. That's what I think. I'm taking Stanford. I'll take. I mean, I can't. I. It's hard for me to not pick a home dog, you know. So I'm going to take Cal. Yeah. There you go. I think it's close enough. Let's see a football game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then next up, we got uh, in in you know the same general area in the Bay. Uh, yeah. We have, the night the night before during rush hour. Gotta love it. Do they have traffic down there? In uh, in Greater San Francisco, in uh, yeah Silicon Valley, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Washington in Utah, Washington. I think this game opened up at Washington by two and a half, and quickly moved to Washington by five. Yeah, quickly and, moved to Washington by three and a half, and then quickly moved to Washington by four and a half, and is currently sitting at Washington at five by five. Yeah, I mean, if this, I'm going to be disappointed if this game isn't Washington by a touchdown by the time it kicks off, uh, because. To my mind, we played the game already in Utah this year, and Washington, you know, maybe, you know, they were uh, fortunate to win, but the fact is they won by two touchdowns. You know, they're not for- fortunate to win by the amount that they did because Washington's offense didn't really do a ton of that game. But, uh, and then what I look at is that this game already happened, and then since then, Utah lost their quarterback and they lost their star running back. And Washington has since then gained their you know, preseason top 10 NFL pick left tackle back uh, and gained their uh, game-breaking tight end who adds a sorely needed dimension to the offense in terms of stretching the field vertically. So I think, like, we already played it in Washington 1. Washington now has more and better players. Uh, Utah has fewer and worse players. And Utah has one less day to prepare. Washington played the Apple Cup on Friday. This game is played on, you know, what a, what a joke, by the way. I, I'd be furious if i'm utah and have to play this game on a short week yeah for yeah. what, I mean, a, what not, a joke that's not fair to them I, i'm not yeah. arguing that it is but i'm just saying that that certainly doesn't help um yeah i mean i think you know jason shelley the must you know he was not a he's a redshirt freshman i don't think he was you know like really in the depth starting the year they had that total character right and then they obviously had huntley and I don't know that Jason Shelley was was ever uh, forecast to play a down 
a meaningful down for Utah this year. Um, he's looked pretty good, right? I mean, he's, he's coming in. He's, he's, I think, played as well, I would suppose, as, as Huntley. Huntley was not really a world beater. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the way Utah beats teams is with their defense. They, they're pretty physical. Um, and then on offense, they figure out enough, you know, a, a, a way to, to cull to, uh, you know, together enough points to, to let their defense win the game for them. I, I just, as you said, Washington played this game at Utah, scored 21 points, uh, arguably or, or should be more, you know, more put together on, on, uh, on offense. Th- this game is not going to have the atmosphere that a, the Utah stadium does. Rice Eccles is a, is a tough place to go play and, and provides them with a bump. Um, this isn't going to happen, you know, this is going to be more or less a neutral, like a true neutral field in terms of like, well, let's just see who's better and, and pound for pound Washington. You know, I'm not saying that there's a guarantee they're going to win or anything, but is a much more talented team than Utah. I agree with that too. I mean, I've, I've, I'd, I would honestly, I'd be surprised. And the other thing is I think, uh, Washington is kind of getting their act together at the right time and Utah, I don't know that they have another gear. I think yeah. like Washington is going to be Washington's going to come into this game with the most confidence playing their best football this season against a team they expect to beat, and uh, they have better players anyway. Uh, and so, yeah. in, a, in a weird way, the snowstorm is going to have helped push Hamden figure out how Washington is supposed to win games, which is like, oh, all oh, right, Miles Gaskin and you know, and Hunter Bryant and you know, Kate Otten in the flat, and you know, I mean, like. It, the the way that Washington won the Apple Cup last week is you know precisely how I would like to see them come out and play football this week, uh, and if they do that, then they will win. Yeah, and then kind of back to uh, we were talking about Jake Browning and his uh, you know complicated legacy, and a lot of that is due to the you know the insane familiarity we have you know because he's been starting football games for Washington since 2015. Uh, and was we were so up in 2016, and he was so good that year, and he had so you know so many weapons. And then since then, it's just been kind of trying to figure out what's going wrong. Why can't he you know at least approximate that since that happened? Uh, but when the smoke clears, if he's able to deliver a second Pac-12 title, that uh, is uh, fantastic. You know for his all-time resume. Uh, and if he's able to, you know, win the, the Rose Bowl after that, then he's a Washington great, and that's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. All right. Uh, that does it for this week's episode of Eligible Receivers. For Eric, I'm Warren. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week.